Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bring your community closer to research in the science and engineering fields. So my name is Chantal McLean, a student from the Translational and Molecular Medicine Program at the University of Ottawa, and I'll be your host on today's special podcast episode for the Science Communication TMM 4950 course. Neurological diseases account for 16.8% of all deaths. In order to quickly develop drugs that can treat these diseases, an inexpensive lab-based model of brain tissue that doesn't use humans or animals is required. Growing brain tissue in a tube seems like something you'd see in a science fiction movie. However, today's guest has found a way to make it a reality. So today's guest is Dr. Stephanie Willerth, a full professor and Canada Research Chair in Biomedical Engineering at the University of Victoria. So she has earned an amazing list of accolades, including currently serving as the Acting Director of the Centre for Biomedical Research at the University of Victoria, acting as um, the President of the Canadian Biomaterials Society from 2017 through 2018, and being named a Woman of Innovation in 2017. So she's here today to to talk to us about her exciting and innovative research, where she uses 3D printing to print brain tissue. So Dr. Willer, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you here. So let's begin with a bit of an overview of your work using 3D bioprinting to produce responsive neural or brain tissue. So can you give us a quick summary of the study and its key findings? Yeah, so um, our research group is really focused on using stem cells to make tissues similar to those found in your brain and spinal cord. And we were really excited um, when 3D printing started to gain in popularity for printing human tissue models. And so we collaborated, uh, and we still collaborate a lot with Aspect Biosystems, a company out of Vancouver that makes a really high-end 3D printer that's quite gentle on stem cells. And so together, um, we came up with a method using a a special bio ink. So instead of extruding out a plastic filament, like you think of a traditional 3D bioprinting, these are more jello-like materials that keep your stem cells alive, happy and functioning in the manner they would in your body. And so we were able to use our bioprinting technique to print essentially miniature spinal cords and uh, little half domes that resemble brain tissue. And they have some of the same uh, proteins expressed that you would find in these tissues in your body, as well as some of the electrical signaling is similar as well. That's awesome. Really cool research for sure. And so you mentioned this a little bit. So what is a bioink and what is it made of? Yeah. So um, as, I, as I mentioned, um, unlike traditional 3D printing where you heat up a plastic filament, you, you actually work with these usually hydrogel materials. So they're things similar in consistency to jello. Um, our our bioink that we use for printing our stem cell derived tissues is uh, based around a blood drive protein called fibrin. So what causes your blood to clot, we use a purified version of that. Um, along with some other additives in order to make it extrude as a filament, it's chemically cross-linked. So a chemical reaction is what causes it to solidify. Um, unlike with traditional 3D printing, where normally it's just the cooling down of your filament as you've extruded into your structure. Um, and then also the materials are, are gentle um, enough to keep the stem cells alive. They're seated inside of the bioinks. So it's easy to sort of think of them as kind of the filament. Um, and then one of the major differences is that usually this filament does contain living cells. Mm-hmm. For sure. And can you tell me a little bit more about what led to the development of this project? Yeah, so um, I've been working on neural tissue engineering since I was a graduate student starting back in 2003. 
And uh, a lot of the stuff we used to do um, required a lot of manual labor, um, mixing your biomaterials by hand, pipetting them into 24 wall plates. So the idea if you could have a 3D printer um, printing out your constructs, it would make the process more reproducible. And uh, when it does work really well, you can get um, hundreds of constructs in one day, which is a lot more than you could get if you're just manually producing them by using you know, hand techniques and pipettes. So that's really what motivated us to get into that was a way to make neural tissue engineering more reproducible as well as high throughput. Yeah, for sure. That sounds great. And so one aspect of your research that that was really cool and something that was mentioned in the paper was uh, talking about the viability of these bioprinted neural tissues. So why is viability so important and how is it measured? Yeah, so viability is essentially the uh, percentage of cells that survives the printing process. Uh, as I mentioned, the one of the printers we work with a lot, the Aspect Biosystems printer, it has really good control over the flow. So it, you can tune it and the flow rates. So they're quite gentle on the cells, um, resulting in more of them surviving. A lot of the lower end bioprinters that are cheaper are much more harsh on the cells. And so you tend to see a lot more cell death. Um, one of the things that makes our work really unique is we actually print at relatively high cell densities, but we're printing um, at the same types of cell densities you would find in a tissue in the human body, which is why it's important to have um, the majority of your cells not only survive, but also survive and differentiate into tissues that are actually functioning, similar to those found in the human body. And uh, another thing about our work that makes us a little bit unique compared to some of the other bioprinting groups is we do keep our constructs in culture for long periods. So for some of our tissues that model Alzheimer's, you know, we're culturing these tissues for 60 days. Um, and that allows you to see more relevant biology uh, than some of the shorter term constructs where you have more cell death um, and less of the same markers that you would see if you were trying to say, look at brain tissue um, in vivo. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. Um, and then so after bioprinting and culturing, so the properties of these bioprinted tissues were assessed. So can you tell me a little bit more about what cell surface markers were expressed and what the significance of each of them is? Yeah, um, I think I'm probably speaking to probably more general audience. So if you think about the brain, you've got your neurons, which are your main information transmitting cells. So we stain for some of the markers indicating whether we were getting immature neurons or some of them we actually did see more mature neuronal stains, similar to those you'd find in the motor neurons, you'd find in the spinal cord or dopaminergic neurons found in the brain. Um, in Laura's uh, paper in advanced, in advanced nanobiomed research, we also saw um, oligodendrocyte markers, which are the support cells that help myelinate your neurons and allow them to transmit information throughout your body, as well as we also saw some astrocytes, which are support cells that help feed your neurons and um, oligodendrocytes. It also, they also make up the blood-brain barrier. So one of the things that's really exciting about these tissues is that you have all the three main cell types and they do interact. And especially for diseases like Alzheimer's, you do see things where the um, astrocytes will modulate the behavior of the neurons. So I think it just makes it a more physiologically relevant tissue for studying different types of effects. Yeah, absolutely. And so another thing that was investigated was membrane potential. So why was this done and why is it important? Yeah, so when your, your neurons actually fire, they're sending electrical signals. So the way you can track that is through membrane potential. Um, and normally it's traditionally done with a procedure called patch clamping, which is destructive and you have to essentially isolate a single neuron to see whether or not it's actually um, sending these electrical signals. So we used a different approach where we used a voltage sensitive dye and we applied it to the whole tissue. So while not all the cells in our tissues are electrically responsive, it did give us a sense that our tissues did contain neurons that were able to electrically fire. And so if you're thinking about using these as a tool for drug screening, it's because you can both look and see, is your drug going to kill cells? But another thing that's really important that um, you could um, 
block the ability of these cells to transmit their signals, but they would still be alive. And so by being able to measure the membrane potential, you can see if any of your drugs are actually going to be killing the electrical activity of your tissues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so you touched on this a little bit, talking about some of the applications with drug screening. So, but what would you say are the, the main applications of this research? Yeah, um, well, for us, and especially with modeling diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, we want to use these as um, a tool for drug screening. We do have uh, patient-derived cell lines for both of these from patients who have Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So, um, And we have observed, although we haven't published it yet, um, that you do see some of these hallmarks of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's in our tissues. And so if there was a way to reverse that, um, we could potentially get some drugs back into people. Um, especially sort of in the personalized medicine approach. So I think that that's something that's really important. I will also talk a little bit about 3D biotherapeutics that did 3D print um, ears uh, for people who had ear deformities. And that's actually in humans and they are running a clinical trial on that right now. So there are 3D printed tissues going into humans. I will say like the ear where it's just a structural thing is pretty low. I mean, it's still really impressive achievement. Um, they're just certain tissues that are easier to get into clinic. So I think you'll see things like skin, 3D printed skin going in. Um, brain tissue, I think, will be a ways off just because it's so difficult to get cell therapies into to humans, especially for neural diseases. Um, but overall, I think there's a lot of other tissues that can be um, 3D printed and transplanted clinically. Yeah, well, definitely a lot of promising findings for sure anyway with the, with the neural tissue. And so where do you foresee uh, this research going in the future? So you touched on that a little bit, but. Yeah, I know we're really excited to start exploring what we can do with some of the patient-derived models. Um, we also have been working on, in terms of the, the company, I have Axel Biosciences. We are focusing on um, making a, a, an ink based on the paper you talked about called BrainPrint. And we are working with Starfish Medical out here to scale up production of the drug-releasing particles that go into the ink. And we've also done a bunch of work uh, developing inks um, for cardiac bioprinting. So yeah, I think we're pretty excited with uh, where the, this can go. And we're really excited to see what we discover with some of our disease models of the bioprinted neural tissues. Yeah, absolutely. And so one other thing that uh, we wanted to ask, so we're looking into a little bit more of your background and how you have two degrees and you know, one in biology and one in chemical engineering. Uh, I guess I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. And also, I guess, what inspired you to pursue tissue regeneration? Yeah, so um, back in, I guess, now the dark ages when I went to MIT, they didn't <laughs> actually have a bioengineering program. So um, they had a graduate program. So I did work in a graduate bioengineering lab. So that's why I was a double major in biology and chemical engineering was my attempt of homebrewing a biomedical engineering degree. <laughs> um, and then um, what was the other part of your question? Just asking uh, what inspired you to pursue tissue regeneration research? Oh, yeah. So even when I was in high school, um, my high school, I did the IB diploma program. And so my senior thesis was actually on Dolly and cloning. So I was always very interested in regenerative medicine from even back then. And I knew that's what I wanted to study. Um, so I worked in a biomedical engineering lab as an undergraduate. And then when I did my grad work, I was really excited to go work with Dr. Shelley Sakiyama Elbert researching stem cells. So and then um, haven't really looked back. I mean, I was in grad school when iPSCs were discovered, induced pluripotent stem cells, and so now we use those in all of our 3D bioprinting work. So um, I always just think it's really interesting all the different ways our body can regenerate. And that's also why our company logo and mascot is the axolotl, which has a highly regenerative nervous system, is I just think there's lots about developmental bio that's really fascinating. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely so much cool research like coming out of this initiative. Absolutely. And thank you so much for talking to us a little bit more about your background. But yeah, I think those are all the questions that we have for you today. So thank you so much for joining. Uh, on behalf of our director, Dr. Emilio Alarcon, and the whole Beats Research Radio team, we thank you all for tuning in. So Beats Radio is supported by the University of Ottawa Heart Institute, the Beats Laboratory, and the Department of Biochemistry, Microbiology, and Immunology at the University of Ottawa. So don't forget to follow our Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube platforms to stay in the loop of our latest uploads. Wishing everyone good health, and see you all next week.